Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Judges today. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 11 through 23. I'll read verses 20 through 22 for us now, as we prepare to hear from Hunter Root, as he continues to help us understand what it means that the Lord tests. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded, their fathers, and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. Well, as we think about this text from Judges chapter 2, it's not exactly a happy text, but I am reminded of a story from about 16 years ago when Blair, my wife, and our daughter Cortland, who was about a year old at the time, were invited to attend dinner at the home of one of my colleagues at the church where I was serving in Topeka, Kansas. My fellow pastor, his name was Doug and his wife Paula, and they had three boys at the time. They would eventually have a fourth about a year or two later. But when we were at dinner at their home, these three boys who ranged from ages of maybe two up to eight in that range were being what we might consider a little bit rambunctious after the dinner table as we were sitting there trying to have a conversation. And I have three sons. I have no idea what that's like. I have no idea... Rich has three sons, uh, three rambunctious boys. What might that look like? Well, they were being a little bit overly rambunctious. In fact, when I was talking to Blair last night about this story, she said, oh yeah, I remember that. And you could tell that Doug and Paula were a little frustrated and they were trying to tell their boys to make the right choice. And at some point, Doug finally took hold of one of their boys who was being ultra rambunctious And he looked him in the eye, and he said something that I'll never forget. He looked at him and he said, please choose to obey. And in the moment, that just struck me as a very simple yet profound way of communicating with a child. Please choose to obey, because in that moment, what he was doing was, he was communicating, I am your father, and this is my desire for you. This is what I want. And he was also communicating You have a choice, a choice to either make the right decision or the wrong decision. And what he was also communicating was, if you do not choose to obey, we will have other conversations and consequences when this dinner is over. Profound. Please choose to obey. As I think about our series and where we've been in the series of tests that we're working through this summer, I realize that we as followers of Jesus Christ, are given that same message and that same opportunity by our Heavenly Father to either choose to obey or choose to disobey. And the choice is ours. And God's desire is that we would choose to obey, as the text tells us, to walk in His ways through this test of obedience that He gives to us, because obedience is very important to God, our Heavenly Father. And as those who follow Jesus Christ, as we want to be fruitful and faithful disciples, God continues to put that test before us and asks us and implores us that we would please choose to obey His Word. 
As I said, we are in the midst of our summer series, The Lord Tests, and we are in the fourth lesson on that testing, and this week is a test of obedience, as we've heard from Judges chapter 2. Life is the test, as we have been learning, and God's tests refine us, reform us, and reveal the truth to us, and God desires for us to be an obedient people. He provides us many opportunities, many tests, and hopes that we will choose to obey, because obedience is indeed important to Him. As we think about the text of Judges and the whole book of Judges, it is a rather sad tale in some respects as you look at the overall picture. The beauty in this book is that you see God being very gracious to His people in spite of their decisions to reject Him and to reject His ways. The key verse of Judges is found at the very end of the book when we read that in those days there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, people did not choose to obey. People chose to do what they wanted, what they thought was right in their eyes. But what we find that what is right in the eyes of sinful human beings can often be very much evil in the sight of the Lord. And that was true throughout the book of Judges. It's a painful record of the history of God's people at this point when they would forsake God and reject His ways and go after other gods and false gods and worship them as well. We find it's a a downward spiral, so to speak, that reads something like this. The people will sin, followed by the people's suffering, and then the supplication where they cry out to God and say, please help us, and God's gracious salvation to His people. You simply... Rinse and repeat, because that happens again, and again, and again. And the downward spiral goes lower and lower and lower. So much so that I would say that if you are ever considering reading this book through with young children, that there certainly is some viewer discretion advised. It becomes quite R-rated towards the end of the book. It is a sad tale. It starts out on a great note. We have Joshua leading the people. They've conquered the land, but... Here is the problem, is that they were told to drive out the evil nations that were in the promised land of Canaan. Now, just so we don't think that this was something that God didn't take very seriously, these were evil people. These were wicked people who put forth practices that involved sacrificing children and uh, cult prostitution, and it was a bad scene. And God did not want His people falling prey to the false worship and perverted practices of these evil people. So God said, you must drive them out. Well, the people of Israel did not drive out the pagan peoples that were in their promised land. And as a result of that, they began adapting and adopting the practices and the worship of these people. And they were beginning to forsake the covenant that God had said to them, please choose to obey, this is my will for you and my way. So At a certain point, God gave them over to their disobedience. And he finally says, because of their constant failure to obey, as we've read in verses 21 and 22, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. 
God finally said, they're not obeying me. I'm going to leave these pagan nations and these evil people in the land as a way to test them, to see if they will walk in my way or not. That is the test of obedience. So what lessons can we learn as God's people in this 21st century who want to follow Jesus faithfully, even when it's difficult? What lessons can we learn from this test of obedience? And the first lesson is this. God desires our obedience. This is not a fancy or flashy message. It's a foundational one, though, friends. God desires our obedience as his people. And he desires this for a number of reasons. One is that our obedience glorifies God. It glorifies Jesus Christ. When you and I, even in the face of difficulty, choose to obey, we demonstrate to the watching world that Our God is who he is and we can trust him at his word and that you too can submit and surrender to this Jesus who is the Savior and know that God is not a miser, he's not evil, he's not a mean father, but he is a good father who desires to demonstrate his goodness through us as a faithful people. God desires our obedience. God also desires our obedience because he knows that our sin will lead to our suffering. If you have children, you know this. The many choices that our children can make, which are disobedient and reckless, we want to tell them, no, if you just pursue this path, it will go well for you. Your friends might mock you. People might hate you. But this is the way to life and blessing. Just to demonstrate how sin can lead to suffering, as we look at this passage from Judges chapter 2, looking at verses 11 and following, we read, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Baal being a false god of the Canaanite people. Serve means to put full allegiance and worship towards someone or something. And as a result, verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. God had communicated earlier in the chapter that failure to drive these people out means that these people will become a thorn and their false gods will become a snare to you. And that is exactly what happened. Because obedience is important to God, We find here that when God's people disobeyed, God was provoked to anger and his anger was justifiable. In fact, so much so that when they would have uh, battles against enemy peoples, those enemy peoples would plunder them and they would attack them. And God allowed it because it was a way that he was letting his people understand that there are consequences for your choices. And the only way you're going to learn, and sometimes, friends, the only way that we learn is when we have to face and experience those consequences. One of the problems is that the Israelites were seeking to replace worship of the one true God and supplement that with worship of these false gods who were no gods at all. We read they worshipped and served the, the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Baal was the Canaanite god associated with the sun and with reproduction Ashtaroth were these evergreen tree icons and idols that were worshipped, pointing to another god, Astarte, who was associated with the moon. 
So what we find in this is that the problem is they were replacing worship of the one true God who made all creation with no gods at all that were associated with aspects of that creation. And sure enough, God was provoked to anger. And the people did not experience the freedom and the blessing that he had designed them to experience through obedience to him in the promised land. As we think about our own lives and our own departures from the Lord and his ways, when we don't choose to obey, but when we choose to disobey, sometimes we have to experience the pain of those consequences of our sin. I heard a quotation this past week that I thought was powerful and helpful in understanding just the danger of sin in our lives and the reality. And when we make choices and compromise compromise here and there in this little area and that little area, before you know it, the compromise pendulum is swinging even further. And as someone has said, sin takes you further than you want to go, makes you stay longer than you want to stay, and costs more than you ever want to pay. Because sometimes we have to sit at the table of those consequences. And God loves us, and he wants to spare us from that pain. Those consequences might look like, and and consider talking about a meal, like we're sitting at a table. And because of our choices, we have to sit at the table and also eat the meal. As disgusting as the food may taste, Sometimes that is what it takes for God to tell us, I want you to obey. We read in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 29 and following. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. That's the bad news, okay? But there is good news. With the gospel of Jesus Christ and God giving his son, we we always have good news. From time to time, my wife will say, well, sometimes when you preach, you should give them the good news. Don't just give them the bad news. Here's the good news that we even read at the end of Proverbs chapter 1. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Friends, God desires our obedience. And because of that, he wants us to know the good news is that when we fail, God gives us grace. God gives grace when we fail. We see this in the lives of the Israelites when the text tells us at the end of verse 15 that they were in a great distress. How does God respond when his people are in this great distress? Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. You see, God is gracious and he is compassionate. In the lives of the Israelites, that grace and compassion when they got to this moment of great distress looked like God providing a judge a military or political leader who was assigned to help lead some of the Israelites in their time of greatest need. And this was given by God to save them from the hand of their enemies. That word save in the Hebrew is yasha. 
where we get our word Yeshua, which is Jesus in the English, because Jesus means God saves. God graciously and compassionately saved his people and continued to do so in spite of their constant disobedience. When they cried out to him, God acted out of pity, the text tells us. That word for pity could mean to feel sorry, repent, have compassion on, or rue. I like that one. That this great tragedy was being experienced by his people. One writer, J. Clinton McCann, writes that God cannot help but be gracious to a people who apparently cannot help but be unfaithful. And friends, when I look at my life, and I believe if you look at your life and we take an honest assessment of our hearts and our ways, That is how God is with us. At times, we cannot help but be unfaithful, but God cannot help but be faithful and compassionate and gracious to us. And that is because he has provided the ultimate judge, the ultimate savior, the ultimate salvation through Jesus Christ in our moment of greatest distress and our greatest need. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 reads, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God continuously offers us that grace through the forgiveness that comes through His Son, Jesus. It's who He is. When we fail, God gives us grace. Ephesians 1, 7 reads, In Him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of is grace. Because God desires obedience. And God gives grace when we fail. Well, what is our third lesson? Our third lesson is, God's grace should lead us to obey. In other words, God's grace is a reset and an opportunity where God once again says, Please choose to obey. In light of this forgiveness that I have given you, in light of this incredible relationship that you have with me through my Son, Jesus Christ, and through the indwelling Holy Spirit that I have given as a gift to you, please choose to obey. We should not treat God's grace lightly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany in the mid-20th century, he was part of the the movement to to bring down Adolf Hitler and the the great evil that was happening in that country at that time. He he gave his life. He was martyred for that cause. But he he wrote about cheap grace, which is the mindset that, well, I, I can do this because I'll be forgiven. Or I'll just go ahead and I'll disobey because I have forgiveness. And in this way, God's grace never motivates us to become more mature disciples and growing disciples. We can take God's grace for granted. But God desires that when he extends that grace, that we will be moved and led to obey. Even when the test of obedience hits its highest point in our lives. Sadly, for the Israelites, they did not choose to obey. Even in light of God's compassion and grace. In verse 17 we read, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them, And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Uh, The word listen and obey in in this verse is the same word in Hebrew. It's shema, the word of listening with the intent of obeying and following through. The Israelites did not 
relent from their disobedient ways. In fact, the text tells us they did not drop their stubborn and evil ways. They did not respond well. As a result of that, God continued to give them over to their enemies and left their enemies as a test in hopes that they would walk in the way of the Lord. They failed the test repeatedly. So the question for us as we think about this test of obedience is, how will we respond? What tool do we have to help us be successful in the test? And the tool for testing is simply obedience. Yes, obedience is the test, and obedience is also the tool that God gives us for the test. Obedience to God would have stopped that downward spiral, that downward cycle for the Israelites in the book of Judges. And for us too, God desires for us to be an obedient people so that we will respond well when that temptation comes, even when it is hard. And friends, I know it is hard. Obedience can be very hard. Because we live in a world that often says, you should choose this way. When God's truth very clearly says, no, you should choose my way. I give some examples of what obedience looks like in our lives. As followers of Jesus, obedience means having integrity in our financial dealings, even though the world might say, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you can compromise over here, no one will ever know. Obedience means making the right choice in the kind of media that we consume so that we are a pure people. Obedience means children being honest with their parents. I'm sure you wish the children were back in the room now. But obedience also means parents being honest with our children. Obedience means seeking forgiveness for someone that we have hurt or harmed or offended. Obedience means listening to God's voice and doing what God says, even when that's a difficult decision. Obedience means remaining faithful to the covenant of marriage, even when you don't feel like it, and even when it's hard. Obedience ultimately means aligning our values in our lives with the values and the life that is spoken about in God's Word, rather than the values and the lives that are seen by all of us in the world around us. Obedience means honoring and glorifying God in what we say, honoring and glorifying God in what we do, and honor and glorifying God even in what we think, so that we're loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yes, this is an impossible task. That is why obedience must be motivated and empowered by God's grace through His Holy Spirit. Because apart from Him, we cannot even obey in the first place. To walk in the ways of the Lord, we must walk by the Holy Spirit of the Lord to grant us the grace and the courage to be the people that He's called us to be. Our final uh, cross-reference comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11-14. through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. 
Friends, obedience to God's glory is why you and I have been set apart in Christ. So that it might be a testimony to the world that our God saves and His name is Jesus. That is why our obedience is important to God. We've learned about the test of obedience today. We've learned about how we have that test and we encounter that test daily. And daily God implores of us as His people, please choose to obey. That is because God desires our obedience. God gives grace when we fail. And God's grace should lead us to obey. Because with this test of life that refines us, reforms us, and reveals the truth to us, we can only be successful when we surrender and rely on His grace to pass the test of obedience, whereby we take care and walk in the way of the Lord. When we do, we live faithful, fruitful lives as the disciples of Jesus that we are called to be, being on His mission for His glory and for our good. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.